You're listening to Tech Nest, the PropTech Podcast. In each episode, you'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. Discover market opportunities, interesting data, growth tactics, and trends driving the industry forward. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. Okay, you probably heard the saying, what matters gets measured. Or something along those lines. Basically, boiling down to if you can't measure it, it either doesn't mean anything or you're probably not going to improve on it. And in order to measure anything, you got to have good data, good data collection, good data structure. And I would even argue data visualization. You know, it's kind of hard to make sense of thousands of rows in a spreadsheet and to know what to do with that. There's some level of markup that's necessary. And we get into some of this discussion today uh, with our guest, Ann Hollander. She's the CEO of a company called Lobby CRE. Lobby CRE helps commercial real estate firms transform their portfolios with intelligent analysis, industry benchmarking, and asset management. This enables access to all data sources and automating performance reporting across all their properties. So if you've got 100 properties, they could all be you know, 200 unit apartment buildings. Maybe they're in 10 different cities. How are you going to normalize that data? And especially, you know, as you're going along, if you're acquiring new assets and you're you're bringing on those assets and, and the previous data management was one structure and, you know, you're, you know, what you already had in your portfolio was one data structure, how do you normalize that data? Unless you have someone really on hand who can take care of that, it's going to be really a tough challenge. And that is something that Lobby CRE helps solve for. And we also get into a little bit of discussion about AI. Couldn't help myself, had to get into it. It's the topic of the day. And so we talk a little bit about the role of AI in data management. If data management is at all interesting to you, and it should be because in real estate, there's just endless amounts. It makes it a whole lot more fun. Then let's go ahead, dive into this episode, hear what Ann has to say. Hey, Ann, welcome to the show. Hey, Nate, it's so great to be here. Thank you so much. You bet. Now, okay, we both are rocking the bookshelves in the background. I know. Do you have a favorite book back there? Oh, um, you know, it, it does alternate, um, but Robert Cialdini's influence is really hard to not cite as a favorite because more than half of the books behind me probably are citing his work or citing a book that cited his work. And I wouldn't have discovered without having read Influence. I think I've got Influence on my shelf as well. I'm almost as should everyone. I, I absolutely, it's in the top ten. Um, I he, think you know if I were to try to pick a number one, and it's like we're picking among children here at this point of, <laughs> of all the books back there. Uh, it would have to be Start with Why from Simon Sinek. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. I, I met um, I met him. Where did I meet him at? I can't even remember now. But it was at a, I think it was a book event in uh, in, uh, in uh, Nashville. So, yeah, well, I can get down with that. Always um, great to bond with another reader, though. <laughs> yeah, we we could nerd out on on books here for some time. You can see the the read pile 
for this year is stacking up. And honestly, I just got another one in the mail here. And of course, you know, next to your computer, you have to have another one. So, but um, I'm excited for our conversation here. Uh, and so, before we jump into all the, the Q and A, uh, please go ahead introduce yourself, let everyone know who you are and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So I am Ann Hollander. I am the Chief Strategy Officer at 30 Capital and also serve as the Chief Executive Officer at Lobby CRE, uh, a technology platform uh, helping uh, owners and operators maximize the returns and returns on cash that they've got uh, across their CRE investments and portfolio. All right. So we're going to unpack that and uh, we'll just start really at the highest level. You know, can you break it down? What is the big problem you mentioned cash but let's let's talk through the big problem or problems that lobby cre is solving for yeah well let's let's zoom out a little bit before we get to to lobby cre uh, for those in the commercial real estate space i don't think that what i'm about to say is any surprise we're in the midst of a recalibration um, and what this looks like is you know a, a very natural type of occurrence where we've reached the end of the market cycle and with the end of the market cycle, we've got a number of different dynamics that happen. But basically, uh, what we're seeing is valuations beginning to cool off, cap rates beginning to come back up. Um, we've got kind of the bid-ask gap, uh, trying to navigate what that looks like. It's still fairly mm-hmm. wide in some areas, but beginning to narrow in others. Uh, we're starting to see expenses rise quite a bit. Rent levers have cooled off quite a bit, um, which mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. also impacting some of the, the valuation and NOI components of a, of a real estate asset. And so with this, um, you know, probably the, the more complex side of this economically would be the, the rising in, of interest rates in combination with uh, what has been a, a long-term supply chain crisis. Um, so with this, in this recalibration, we're beginning to think about our real estate assets differently uh, than before. If I look back at the last 10 years uh, in uh, across this market cycle and, and in the market that we've had, it's been great. I mean, you had to try hard not to make any money in a real estate investment that you could have in a, in a multifamily asset uh, or other types of commercial real estate assets. And uh, riding that wave of appreciation a lot of us, myself included, sort of sat back and went, okay, cool. We're just going to ride this wave. There's not a whole lot we have to do. I don't have to be a genius, and I can still make a whole lot of money doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. In the recalibration, though, right, this is this is begins to what separates the, the girls from the women, uh, as it were. And it's time to lean back into these particular investments and really get your hands around what's going on and what's driving cash flow inside of your organization that ultimately are affecting the returns that you're going to see uh, mm. out of your investment. So as I zoom back in, right, um, when we hit these moments of recalibration, this cash flow management becomes incredibly important. Uh, one of the things that, uh, one of the factors that's driving this in particular is expenses. Uh, and I call them the silent killer inside of a, a real estate investment. Because expenses overall have been going up and up and up very, very quickly, um, and in fact outpacing uh, the income side. Of what are we talking here? Like Grubhub expenses, or we're talking about utilities. We're talking about uh, you know expenses you know within the property itself. We're seeing blood, uh, budgets blown. We're seeing pro formas blown, um, and because expenses are, are beginning to eat away at that NOI. Mm-hmm ultimately mm-hmm. affecting the, the valuation of the asset itself. 
So with this, right, uh, it's time to lean back in and, and get a hold of what's going on from a cash flow standpoint. Uh, mm-hmm. There are other levers as well. You may have uh, your leverage within that property uh, and your pro forma built uh, on something you know called net negative leverage. Uh, that's uh, those days are, are a little bit gone at this point. Uh, no more are we at that two and three percent interest range. We're now in the you know five to sixes. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I look at interest rates. Uh, we've got equity considerations here as well. So depending on what your investment horizon looks like and what your equity partners uh, may have been uh, expecting, there's a lot of management of expectations that go into this, and then certainly. Um, other changes going on to uh, that are driving more and more need for transparency in ownership groups and through our Corporate Transparency Act regulations that have recently been announced. So we've got all of this going on all at once, and with this recalibration about how we're thinking about real estate, how we're managing a real estate asset, how we're managing a real estate portfolio and an investment. Mm-hmm. Um, is necessitating the need to really think through how is it exactly that I'm doing this? And that's where Lobby CRE begins to step in. We're yeah. helping to manage that all of that cash flow that's moving throughout uh, as you're managing that real estate asset, that investment, that in, and that portfolio, um, and really driving pretty significant impact for a lot of the clients that we're serving today. Yeah, I mean, uh, from, you know, having fact that I work at an insurance company so I get a little bit of a, a view of like when you're talking about rising costs uh, and we've we've seen it um, kind of across the board I mean it's not just the insurance it's you know you have to think about replacement costs absolutely and replacement costs is not something that the housing industry can just solve by building more homes or building you know any more apartments there's other things there's the cost of material there's the fact that the labor pool for who knows how to actually build these things is shrinking and not being replaced. I've got a friend, you know, I was just visiting in Philly and, uh, you know, he's an electrician and he's, you know, he's done the grind of commercial and, you know, electricity, but now he's a top prospect at all the EV startups because they, yeah, you can have the technology idea, but you still need electricians. <laughs> That's right. You still have to be able to implement it. Isn't that the case, though, of everything, right? It's great to have this idea. It's great to have this thing Mm -hmm. until you can actually get it implemented and and consistently implemented. Uh, It's not really real, is it? Yeah. Yeah. It's just fascinating to think about that because we went very different paths from our origins, even having the the same similar starts. And now we both are in startups, uh, even though he's still on the the trade side and, and, uh, Quite frankly, my hands are probably much softer uh, from just typing on keyboards. (laughs) Well, I want to back up a little bit here, though. I want to get a little bit more of your story, right? Because you you obviously know this business. And just to build a product into this business, you you really kind of have to know what you're talking about. What's your background? Did you come from the private equity? Are you a fund manager? Like... Or Where something have else. Been? All over the place. Um, primarily focused in uh, technology at the intersection of, uh, or industries that are beginning to go through their own what we call digital transformations. So, mm-hmm. um, so I've worked in uh, a number of different fields, including oil and gas, construction, real estate, uh, transportation. Right, all of these different uh, organizations and companies uh, along the way. Uh, some of them publicly traded, some of them private equity, some of them startup. Uh, and uh, bringing all of this back into the real estate space. 
Uh, but real estate really captured my heart years and years back. Uh, it's funny. I was uh, out at a conference uh, with a, a client of ours uh, a few days ago telling the story of how I got started in real estate. It was very much an accident. Uh, I was trying to, at the time, put myself through law school without taking on any student loans. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and, uh, and I took a job uh, because I, I knew enough about digital marketing uh, back in 2008, 2009. I uh, took a mm-hmm. job uh, in marketing and leasing. had no sales skills whatsoever, but they taught me everything I needed to know in a small um, residential or uh, multifamily portfolio here in Dallas. Uh, it was a complete value-add renovation portfolio. It had about 30 assets in it. Um, and I got my start into real estate, and that, that bug bit me, and it, and it stayed. Um, I, myself, today continue to invest in real estate, uh, primarily in commercial properties that I've picked up a- along the way. Um, and certainly my organization here at 30 Capital uh, as well, I think, you know, we also continue to uh, invest in real estate. We have roots in real estate that run very, very deep and and Mm multi-generational. So we're bringing that experience and that knowledge directly into our businesses and in everything that we do, whether that be capital markets, whether that be advisory, whether that be actually uh, investing, owning and managing uh, assets, um, even into the technology side of things that I run today. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and, and, you know, kind of going, looking back through your, your LinkedIn and all that. I mean, you even had a short, uh, a few years at RealPage, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily a small uh, real estate technology player. They're a pretty significant player in the space, obviously giving quite a bit of exposure to then. So what was the catalyst to like, hey, you know, obviously there had to be recognition of this is a problem that someone needs to solve. And I'm the person who's going to build this thing. Like, was there something at work one day? Did a colleague mention something to you or a client? Like, how did that come about? Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that I, I love in particular about the this particular space in, in real estate is, um, you know, despite the fact that we all have tangible assets that we're managing or investing in, uh, whether even if that investment is our own time, is that the industry itself is largely built around people. Mm-hmm. We have a number of different roles who are always interacting uh, inside and outside of real estate, whether it be your tenants or residents, the brokers, the appraisers, the attorneys, the owners, the investors. You know, There's just a number of different people that come in and out of, uh, of a real estate investment or a real estate asset. And frankly, I, I love the relationships and and the uh, interactions that happen between them. Uh, however, one of the areas of concern or the big problem that we oftentimes see is the inefficiency of, of how that works. Mm. It takes you know some time for one person to get back to another. It takes effort uh, and work that needs to be done in a way that where I'm producing value for this person to go produce value for this person to go produce value. Right. And so if you're looking at the value chain of all of these relationships that you've got, which are incredibly powerful and very, very valuable, um, there's a lot of inefficiency that's baked into uh, a real estate investment. If I were to think about the, uh, let's say, the stock portfolio that I have today, um, I can pick up my phone and I can learn anything I want to know about any stock, any company, anything that I've got in my portfolio in the matter of seconds. Right? It's not hard for me to understand what's going on, where is it valuable, uh, what's it done over the last 52 weeks, um, mm-hmm. understanding where it's going to go, where it's going to uh, not go, um, I, and getting some really good predictions about that. I can't do that for real estate. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really, really interesting in my mind. 
um, you know, it would take weeks to months to uh, longer to be able to understand the performance of a, of a real estate asset today. Um, in part because I, none of this information is necessarily completely digitized, and none of this information sits within a uh, consolidated or centralized source of data. So now I'm trying to go run around to everybody across the industry just mm-hmm. to get an understanding of one real estate asset. Mm-hmm. It's, That's it's if, if people want to give you the data well. they have. <laughs> There's some Depending on, I guess, which market you're in and who you're calling, they may not want to tell you. Because uh, there's a lot of walls in the commercial data space. I think that's why there's so many attempts into disrupting this space and to changing things because there you can find so many dead ends. Um, I did, I did want to kind of a pull back a little bit here on on the owner operators and, and data management. You know, I'm going to start there because you talked about like being able to find these insights as to what's going on and how to value a property and really managing expenses and cash flow. So, you know, how should owners and operators, like what's the philosophy you take or think that they should be thinking when it comes to data management, you know, what even is data management, what sort of tech is required for that? And then last one, uh, adding on to this multi-layered question, you know, what are some special or industry-specific considerations when it comes to data management of a, a real asset? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think I think we can address this question in a number of different ways. I think you know there have been a number of other industries who have gone through these kinds of transformations where they're beginning to get their mm-hmm. hands around. What kind of data is available? What can this do for me? What kind of questions do I need to ask of this? Um, where do I need to be taking this? What do I? How do I protect this or own this or assert my rights to this particular data? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what is data management? Frankly, it's all of those things. It's it's beginning to ask a lot of those questions and then beginning to get your hands around who owns what or has rights to what uh, in the data that flows uh, throughout a real estate asset. And this honestly could be just about anything. Uh, it could be. Uh, what is your rental income that you're you're getting every single month? That is a data flow that's continually changing, uh, and mm-hmm. depending on when either residents or tenants are paying rent or other sources of income uh, that may be coming into the property. That data flow is is something that you have very uh, pretty high interest in. Mm-hmm. There are other uh, components though that also have uh, differing uh, levels of value to it from a data perspective, such as you know how much energy am I using. Uh, how much carbon uh, went into this particular building, and do I need to begin to think about how do I reduce that or offset that uh, if ESG is a priority? Mm-hmm. Um, you could even be thinking about how many people walk into my building every single day. I'm in an office building here in Dallas uh, that I think maybe crosses 50% of capacity. And as we think oh. then about, okay, we've got all this unused space uh, or all the space that you know isn't being utilized to its highest degree are there other things that I could potentially do with that and data can begin to help inform what that looks like so if you buy into the idea that data has value then the next logical step then is okay well how do I how do I predict and manage what that value actually is for my organization uh, and this is, you know, something that we would call, you know, more maturity around uh, data that's coming into your organization or that may be available mm-hmm. to your organization. Because one of the great things about real estate is that it's not just about the asset itself. It's also about everything that surrounds the asset. Is this asset uh, on a busy street? Does it have a lot of traffic around it? 
Um, mm-hmm. Are there other assets similar to it, or am I the only one out there? Uh, is it next to uh, something scenic, or is it next to a highway? Is the WeWork effect still a real thing? Oh, I would love, I mean, you tell me, right? It, I don't it, know. That was a big thing for a while. Everyone was talking about the WeWork effect and how much equity Newman was missing out on. I don't think he missed out on much. I think he got away with quite a bit. But the, <laughs> but that that would be my question is how much does it add value to be close to one anymore than, you know, or not? Right. And so data can help begin to answer that for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as you begin to look forward, not only in being able to capitalize on what you have today, you can begin to predict what your performance is going to look like for future investments that you may make, future developments you may have, future assets mm-hmm. you may hold. Um, you know, it, data begins to ask a lot of questions uh, and allow you to ask a lot of questions, which then beget more and more questions, which allows mm-hmm. you to get a lot more informed about not only what's going on today, but predicting what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, there's like super simplistic ways of doing this. I don't know if this is true or not, but I um, I don't know if I was told this, if I read this it was years ago, but it was about Wendy's. And Wendy's... How do they determine where to put their restaurants? Now, I don't know if this is true, so I could just be spouting off nothing here. But as as far as I understand, they just got as close to wherever there was a McDonald's. Because what did McDonald's do? McDonald's had proven over and over and over they're absolutely the best at it, spent a ton of time and money and effort. And so you know reasonably well if there's McDonald's, there's enough demand for a, a potentially a Wendy's. And then mm-hmm. if you're close to the McDonald's, you have the same foot traffic and, you know, there's going to be some level of value. Like you can make it as complicated or as simple as that. I have a friend who, you know, he, he looks, is there a Starbucks? It's in Chicago. So he looks for Starbucks within a half mile walk. That's not a bad indicator. That's a pretty good indicator. But then of course, I imagine if you're building a high rise, if you're doing, you know, larger, uh, you know, many, many millions of dollars um, investments that take a few years and lots of permit processes and that sort of thing, it's going to be a little bit more high stakes to to gather more than is there a Starbucks down the down the street? Yeah, but the the rapid expansion of what you're looking, if you've already figured out your model and you know what that looks like, then you can begin to automate to find mm. spots that that make sense for you, right? There are tools yeah. out there that will help you do that. Um, Sonic was the same same kind of thing. They wanted to be within a mile of any high school. Oh, so really? That was theirs. Forty oh, high schools. <laughs> yeah, one oh. mile within high school was was their strategy for real estate and real that estate. That Sonic made my friends and I so mad growing up because we kept seeing these commercials, and in in the Philly area there were no Sonics until we went on a we didn't see a sonic until we were on a road trip and i want to say we were in like tennessee somewhere or something we finally seen a sonic and like we just like nearly missed the exit and just pulled like straight through over the white lines to get to that sonic because <laughs> we were like we finally found one <laughs> that's great i mean i i grew up here in texas and so you know with mm. that I mean, you had to throw yeah. a rock and you could hit a sonic and yeah. all you had to do is find the local high school how about that? Yeah. So, so the data, the data that would you know a, a customer like an owner operator, right? They're using uh, Lobby CRE for it's their data. They're piping in whether they're maybe using that Folio or an Entrada or something, and mm-hmm. there could be some web data they're 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 sending in. Um, but one of the benefits is like Lobby's helping them know like uh, either there's certain levers or or uh, indicators of. 
uh, success or, hey, this might be a problem? Like, what, what, how does that look like? Like, what are you doing as, like, the, the platform for the customer to help them recognize this is an important indicator for your business? Great question. So as you can imagine, there's so much data that flows through a real estate asset. Uh, any mm-hmm. kind of property, right? Whether it's an office property, a retail property, uh, a multifamily property, there's no shortage of data that comes in. And so you're right, we connect to the different systems and uh, the different external sources here that uh, begin to pipe in this data. Uh, and we do that in a way that's automated. So if we look at today, an asset manager typically is waking up in the morning, jumping out of bed and going, oh, yes. Let me fulfill my day by jumping into Microsoft Excel and smashing to get together data sets. Said no asset manager ever, ever, ever. Right, this is nobody wakes up in the morning wanting to get into Microsoft Excel. There's a few out there. There's a few. Uh, there are a few. I, you know, it's funny you say that because um, I one day was you know flipping channels uh, on a random Sunday afternoon, and I must have ended up on ESPN the Ocho or something because it was the World Excel Championships. What? I know this was not that long ago, so I need to go back and find this. I was fascinated by this. I would watch that. <laughs> I, I mean, there's, is this a sport? Maybe it is. Is How does this turn into a competition? Okay. I mean, poker right. is not a sport, but they put that on TV. Yeah, that's, well, is it more interesting? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. All right. I could get to poker. <laughs> um, but with this, right, nobody, nobody in the real estate world wakes up going, okay, Excel is my life. I love Excel. I just, I'm going to do Excel and, and stretch Excel to its full capacity and, and potential. Um, and so part of this is, uh, you know, the first part of it is automating the data that's coming in. So an mm-hmm. asset manager is no longer having to hunt this down from uh, either other systems or uh, usually other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then getting it to a place where it's all standardized. So you want, uh, if you want to understand occupancy, occupancy needs to be calculated the same way across every single asset that you've got. Mm-hmm. And shockingly, uh, every property management system thinks about occupancy a little bit differently. Okay, so now if I've got one property on, call it RealPage, and I've got one property on Entrada, they're beginning to think about the things and the calculations of the data that are coming in a little bit differently. We strip that back down to the raw data and then standardize it back up to build it in such a way that we can now compare apples to apples of what's going on. So for maybe like a, um, you know, let's say it's a, you have a client that's a, a private equity firm and they invest in Chicago and New York. Mm-hmm. Right. And let, let, let's say Chicago, they actually acquired another company and their systems. They were all on Appfolio. And, and then the one in New York, they were all on something else. So they got two separate systems. Can they, can they connect both of those into Lobby? And now they're normalizing those two systems so that they're actually like working off of one set of data versus trying to make sense of the two? Yes. Oh, and see I that, every owner and investor like already just going, what? Yes, we need that right now. Because they're so everybody is so used to delivering their reporting based on either what the property management or the other systems have to say. Mm-hmm. But then you can't compare the two back and forth simply because um, either the calculations are different, the formatting is different, whatever that looks like. We standardize all of that. It seems really smart because the switching costs for those platforms can be pretty high. And it's not a project anyone wants to take on, which is kind of why the incumbents, I don't want to say that's why the incumbents are there, but it's a good reason. It's a very sticky 
thing. Like once that solution is in place, it's in place. Like, do you really want to have to go through and tell a thousand residents that everything has just changed? Right. That we have a new payments provider and you're going to pay your rent somewhere else. That seems risky <laughs> to me. Yeah. Right? No, thank you. Uh, or uh, the if, uh, accountant, your, all of your accounting is moving over to another system. Hope we didn't fat finger anything. Yeah, yeah. That that, that seems pretty important to me. Uh, that's pretty um, – that's good. That's, that's yeah. a, a, a pretty valuable. So, uh, I want to talk about how you're reaching all these customers though. Yeah. So um, this is – you know, for some people, this might not sound like the flashiest thing to go out to market to. Um, I think it sounds kind of cool. But um, the, the thing that always – gets my curiosity is the sales cycle. Is this something where it's pretty obvious to see the value or are you having to introduce some new ideas and educate customers along the way to get them to you know kind of see the aha moment? Great question there. Um, so, so you mentioned the flashy part, right? If I look at half of what we do, maybe a little less than half of what we do, it's this standard, it's this automation and standardization piece that's coming mm-hmm. into the platform, right? That less flash, if anything, we're kind of solving a technology problem, as I like to think about it, because it's been created by all of these other technologies that have been put into place inside of this mm-hmm. organization. So we go in and solve that particular problem. Not a lot of flash. Uh, really, our big value prop there is, you know, we're automating all the things that no human truly wants to go and do. So if we talk about the flash, let's talk about then once all of the data is in here and standardized, right, then you get to a point where you can get into data overload pretty quickly. Uh, And so being able then to pinpoint uh, exactly where it is and optimizing your existing asset and portfolio, knowing, okay, I got to go focus on these three things and I can improve the valuation by X percentage gives Mm -hmm. me now a roadmap of exactly what it is I need to do to go maximize the returns against my investment. Whether I'm an investor, whether I'm a general partner or a sponsor of a deal, whether I'm even the property or asset manager, um, yeah. having that roadmap and having that uh, laid out up front is incredibly powerful. So there's the flash for you. Um, in terms of the education component of it, there's not much education, frankly, that goes into this. Everybody understands, you know, at the end of the day, we're all in real estate to go make money. Mm-hmm. None of us woke up and said we we wanted to you know go do something else and then just ended up in real estate. We all want to make money inside of real estate. And we want to make the the most amount of money that we possibly can to go do that. Now, what we go and do with those returns, right? It may be to buy more assets. It may be to buy myself a new car or a new boat. Um, it may be to set up an, a, uh, the next generation um, in in the activities that they want to go and do. There are a number of different reasons to go and, and make all the money that we do out of real estate. But ultimately, mm-hmm. this is all about driving those returns. Um, so typically what we see uh, in terms of uh, our clients coming on board, one of the best parts about Lobby CRE in particular uh, is how quickly we get up uh, to providing that value. So you mentioned property management systems and how sticky those are, uh, locking you in simply because mm-hmm. there's fear on the other side of what happens. Uh, we're up and running typically within 30 days. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty fast. It's pretty and fast. Then, okay, so so on the on that piece though, because I mean, especially like budgets get, are tightening up a little bit, and mm-hmm. I think people are wise to do that, right? When there's a little bit of uncertainty, you're thinking about cash flow, what you have, if everything were to hit the fan, like what does the next 12, 18, 24 months look like? Um, so then is, do people take to the pitch of, hey, this is going to save you costs in the labor and time? 
or do they take the, to the pitch of like we're going to have better information and that's going to help us net more on the back end like which which one of those really resonates to the buyer both frankly um one of uh, the we were talking earlier about your your buddy that's the electrician uh who's now mm-hmm. working yeah. in a startup right um, and how we have roles that have gone unfilled in a lot of different areas, and we have gaps that need to be uh, solved in a lot of different areas. For some organizations, those gaps are in people, i.e. they do not have either the people with the skill sets that they need or they don't have the people, period, to mm. go and do these types of things. And so mm. suddenly we can make somebody that's uh, in the organization today or even not in the organization today a whole lot more effective and efficient about everything that they're doing because we're solving all the manual effort on one side of the house and then providing them the exact roadmap to execute on what it is we need to go and drive those returns. On the other side of this, providing that level of visibility into what that roadmap looks like and being able to consider holistically across the operations of the asset, the debt, the equity, the risk, uh, and the compliance components that go into this that ultimately are driving valuation, that visibility and being able to optimize something like that is incredibly valuable to an organization, especially when you're focused uh, in cash flow. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're focused in appreciation, then it's kind of a nice to have, right? It's this incremental increase that I can get. I'm pretty happy with a you know 14% uh, return. Um, but if I'm, I would be okay with that. I'm good with that, right? If okay, you're telling me I can get to like sixteen, seventeen percent using your platform. Cool. All right, but you know, three percent. All right. But when we become, when we're in this moment of recalibration in in the reset of the market cycle itself, suddenly, you know, I may have uh, forecasted it to be fourteen percent. Now I'm struggling to get to seven. And as a GP in particular, if mm. I have not hit my promote yet, I'm not getting paid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And if I can give you a way to I, ensure that you're going to get paid and hit that next tier, um, that value. You got motivation. Yeah, you got yeah. a lot of motivation to take a look uh, at Lobby CRE. Is the customer that you're prospecting, the one who makes the purchase decision, are they also the user of the software? Or are there two different people you have to consider here? We take all takers within Lobby CRE. Uh, we, we truly believe that everybody needs to be coming into Lobby CRE to leverage that same source of data, right? Think of it as the same source of truth. We're all singing from the same hymn book here. Um, so whether it be the property manager, whether it be the asset manager, someone in finance, the executive team, uh, investors, third-party managers, whoever that may be, everybody singing from the same hymn book, uh, really, really important on this. So it's really just about everybody. Uh, typically, what we see are power users being our asset managers in their daily-ish, five days a week. Got it. Well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit more about generally, um, like, the appeal here. It, is there um, a type of asset or type of fund or size of fund that sees the value in, in Lobby CRE? And then kind of furthermore here, like, what would be something that would be, like, a good, like, uh, uh, benchmark for a prospect of yours of like once they get a certain amount it's like doors or number of assets under management or values that they would really start seeing the value coming back from using lobby so let me tell you something shocking oh boy you ready i'm sitting down okay this is good you might fall (laughs) out of your chair 
Um, what we see is that uh, a number of organizations, uh, and, and not many, I could probably count them on one, maybe two hands. I don't think I'd have to use my feet, but have built very similar tool sets to this. And they all sit in the institutional side of the world, uh, meaning that they're mm-hmm. these gigantic organizations trying to connect all of their data and making these uh, millions and millions and millions of dollars investment and getting a hold of their data and standardizing it and then providing this, you know, all of these different models and scenarios and forecasting and all of this stuff to help manage their cash flow. No such tool exists externally to go and do this. So they're all building it for themselves, but then not turning mm. around to the rest of the industry to say, hey, we have this most amazing thing to go and take this out into the space and uh, particularly in the mid-market. Um, and instead, you know, keeping all of that competitive advantage to themselves. So what we've done here at 30 Capital, right, we're, we've been in the real estate space. We're a, a mid-market player um, with our own real estate portfolio. What we've done is built the same tools and made it available inside of the mid-market. So when you ask about, you know, is there a size or, or something like that, generally speaking, we're, we're talking to folks who are just getting started with their first asset or restarting with their very first asset and establishing solid principles and operating procedures hmm. and workflows with Lobby CRE, all the way up to, you know, five, six, seven billion in AUM who don't want to necessarily make the heavy investment in all of this technology and building Mm -hmm. it themselves and isolating it for themselves and maintaining it for themselves and securing it for themselves and instead leveraging experts like us at at Lobby CRE to go and do that for them. Oh, very cool. And then is there like a a, a graduated pricing model for that? I'm imagining it's probably not fixed, right? If you have a massive PE firm, right? then they've got $2 billion under assets for under management versus, let's say I, I, I'm pulling together a syndication for a 52 unit. We're probably not going to pay the same price, I'm guessing. Probably not going to pay the same price. Um, and so with this, right, we try to keep it as fixed as possible, right? Again, knowing that we're in this place where folks are managing their cash flows, they need to be able to predict what their expenses are going to be. We mm-hmm. go on a straight uh, per asset cost. Uh, and, and price of for Lobby CRE and all of the different tools that we've got today. Um, this enables somebody to then know exactly, fixed-wise, exactly what this tech cost is going to be or, or anything else that uh, runs through Lobby CRE um, and be able to grow and scale with that. So it becomes a predictable thing. The last thing that we want to do is have to penalize you uh, for additional tech costs when you're improving the valuation of the property itself. So there are Did a lot of... Do you have to debate that internally? Like pricing strategy can be one of those things where like it just can go back and forth for months, if not longer. Like, or was that just something that was kind of a a shared philosophy internally that helped move that decision to, Hey, let's go fixed. Yeah. Let's go fixed as, as best we can. We're also in the space, right? We're owners, Mm -hmm. we're investors. We know what this looks like. We're not out here to make a a ton of money on the backs of uh, everybody else in the space. And I'm sure as hell not going to, you know, penalize you for you being successful with our tools and charging you more because Mm -hmm. you're doing a great job. Yeah. I I find that the antithesis of the mid-market space. It's a challenging thing, right? I mean, because on one side, you're like, well, wait a minute. If they use our tool more, we should just get more for it, right? It's delivering more value. But, you know, it's... At the same time, it's like, well, you know, if a hammer costs ten bucks, it's ten bucks whether you need it once or a thousand times. It's ten bucks. Like that—that yep. that is the cost of the tool. And you know, as a consumer, 
I generally like that model, but also on the business side, where I have on you know when at my last startup we charged on a per unit basis for our, our premium product, and there there were some additional associated fees to every unit that was added. So like there was a true business case of like well there are some incremental costs, right? So we do want to cover that, uh, but you know the the SaaS world has I think infiltrated everything, mm-hmm. you know, to where we want the infinite increase of profitability just oh well you got more out of it this month so we charge more regardless if more costs are ever yeah um we we don't necessarily buy into a lot of that right we want to one celebrate the success that you're going to have um with lobby cre uh, and get as much value as you possibly can out of it because that only helps you as well Mm -hmm. as the rest of the industry uh do a better job uh performing in, in your real estate investments now, I want to jump into something that uh, it's not necessarily specific to Lobby CRE, but right now there's a ton of chatter on it. And in our pre-show, you mentioned you have some opinions. And so I'll, I'll, I want to open up this Pandora's box. Let's let's talk a little bit of AI. Okay. I, I had a demo today of an AI tool. I thought it was pretty interesting, actually. And some of the things they were telling me that it was helping their SEO, I actually could validate real time. I was like, actually, yeah, I do see this is working for you guys. There's modeling, there's spitting out reports, there's, you know, telling you what you should pay for things. Um, there's the real page problem with their AI tool, uh, mm-hmm. that there was under scrutiny of like, where should you put your rents? How much should rent be based on everyone else in your neighborhood? I don't know if that's real AI. I think it was touted as AI. Chatbots. How much of this is just hype? How much of this that's tied to a lot of data tools? Because if you have a data tool that doesn't lead with, which I was honestly shocked when I went to the website and I didn't see AI enrichment, machine learning, modeling, large language modeling like i didn't see any of that copy on the home page when i went to lobby CRE. i was a little surprised because i expected to see something tossed in there how much of this is just noise how much should owner operators fund managers be concerned about and and, and really like at the end of the day like how much do you think is it kind of real yeah so this is this is a big question um yeah and, and yes i do like everything else in the world, I, I have opinions on just about everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, so AI is a tool in the toolbox, right? Um, mm-hmm. it, it is enabling uh, an organization or, or a person to parse an immense amount of data to get to a place uh, where it's making decisions very, very quickly, either aided with you or separate. So mm-hmm. one of my favorite examples of using AI is actually a Tesla car. Have you ever driven a Tesla? No, but I've been in one. Okay, so you've been, in, you've been in one. Have you ever yeah. experienced the self-driving mode? Yeah. Okay. It's pretty cool. All that I've is also is seen AI. the dance. Yeah. Yeah. Super, 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 super cool. All that is is AI making decisions in real time with massive amounts of data moving very, very quickly in order to do that, to shift lanes, see traffic, stop the car, do mm-hmm. what it needs to do. Now, obviously, um, Subaru has a simplified version of that with the cruise yes. control. That's right. And a lot of cars today will have that aided assist or that extra yes. cruise control or these, these other yes. sorts of things. Um, interestingly, they're not using the term AI. Oh. Now, what do you think that is? Well, to me, it's scary. 
Yeah. I, I, I think it's a consumer scaring term. It's also confusing. I don't know as a consumer how to define the value derived from AI. Just as I don't know how to enter the metaverse or buy Bitcoin. Right. Well, you can. You <laughs> That's can a whole to other topic. <laughs> you can go to your local Walmart and pick up an Oculus, and woo, bay, you're evidently now in the metaverse, um, which is a whole other topic, and we can get to that next. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> Um, but with this, right, they don't call all of this AI, even though that's really what this is. It's taking a massive amount of data in, processing it, uh, and then getting to a place where you're able to make predictions and decisions on things. Sometimes it's aided by a human. Sometimes it's not. Um, but the whole point is, uh, A, a massive, massive amount of data has to go into this. And then, two, a massive amount of training has to go into this. Mm. Um, and so as we begin to think through, okay, well, what – if we think through our own education paths, right, if I were to go to a, let's say, a high-end private school in the Northeast, that may be a little bit different than going to a public school in the Bronx. Uh, I'm going to get a different education. I'm going to get different sure. learning. I'm going to get different uh, a different path, perhaps. I'll have different opportunities uh, that come into this. And so the training itself begins to introduce a little bit of bias uh, already or um, into the different algorithms and into how the mm-hmm. machine itself is learning and thinking about all of this data that's flowing in. Mm-hmm. Um, within the commercial real estate space, um, I can tell you that there is an art and there is a science to managing commercial real estate. Um, and from an AI perspective, there are certain things that AI is really, really good for today, like reading documents, um, mm-hmm. in particular loan documents, things that don't change very often and that we can easily identify the different components of. Snapped. There's a company called Snapped, yep. which uh, we've had on the show. Dan is on the show. And they have developed a way to identify falsified documents in renter applications to avoid renter fraud. Great application for that. Great application for AI. And then there are areas where uh, we really have to begin to think through the the algorithm itself. Uh, We need to begin to think through the training methodologies that we're using for this algorithm and how this machine is processing and learning uh, going Mm -hmm. forward as it's getting new information brought into it in a way that doesn't steer yourself over a cliff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, today we uh, here within 30 Capital have not uh, made the jump quite yet into using machine learning um, in part one, because we are still working to get all of the requisite data that we would want within this. And then two, taking a very slow approach into AI in a place where we don't ever have to really necessarily talk about it. It's just on the backside doing things. Um, just much like you know, Tesla mm-hmm. or Subaru or any of these other car companies that never have to tout AI. It's just a tool in the toolbox that happens on the backside. Hmm. I'd much That's, rather I like talk that perspective. about the outcome of what I'm going to get rather than talk about the technology that goes into it, frankly. I mean, uh, th- this has been my biggest complaint with blockchain is the moment you start telling me about blockchain. I have – I don't know what you're talking about, man. I do not know what the blockchain is. <laughs> I, I get I get te- some technical things, but as soon as I have to go that far to understand to be able to get to the point of value, which is all I really care about. Right. Yeah, I, I have I've been distracted. I, I'm not interested because it, it, there's just so much mental lift required to get there that I don't, I don't have capacity for at the moment. 
So then uh, I, I bounce. You know, if we think about it in web traffic terms, I just bounce because yeah. it didn't get to the value sooner than later. But absolutely. Yeah. And so for everybody in real estate, like we talked about, nobody wakes up wanting to get into Excel. The second part <laughs> of this is nobody wants to get up in the morning and talk tech. They want to talk about how they're making money. So let's talk about how we make money. There it is. Speaking of, actually not really, but I'm going to transition it anyway into the bottom of the segments of our show here, Anne. Uh, we're going to jump to For the Future, For the Future's segment when I get to ask each guest who comes in the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Are you ready to play? Absolutely. Born ready. All right, let's do this. First one, this is the easy one. What does Lobby CRE look like one year from now? Oh, one year from now. I'm actually really excited about where we're going right now in the roadmap. Um, I don't want to share too much about what's in the roadmap because I know everybody else gets excited also. Uh, But a year from now, we'll have the full uh, asset optimization uh, platform complete where we are able to optimize across uh, ops, operations of the property itself, debt, equity, and valuation. So that from the outset of owning uh, or managing that particular property, you know exactly what it is you need to do and have a pretty solid prediction of what that valuation is going to look like after you do all those things. Very cool. All right, number two, this is the tough one here. I'm just going to keep on digging into that AI topic. (laughs) Three years from now, so I don't want to go too far out. Three years from now, how will we describe the adoption of AI in data management for CRE? We won't describe it as AI at all, frankly. Um, I, that sounds like a, a cop out of an answer, but frankly, I, just to our earlier points, I think that this, uh, the AI uh, and other buzzy types of tech uh, become buzzy at the outset of you know sort of what it is and, and how it works, and then we focus, we shift back to whatever the value is mm. um, of value-driven copywriting. I know it's a lost art. If I had another <laughs> copywriting book, I'm sure on my. <laughs> we'll have to compare. I, I've got I've got a, like a. I've got a cheesy one. It's like, uh, man, what is it? It's like all the best advertorials and letters, Ooh. like the old timey stuff where like you used to get in the mail. Um, that's what I always pull from. But all right, moving on here. Number three on For the Future. What's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? I hesitate to say this. Um, one industry trend that I that I think will continue and I, I wish would go away. You know, a lot of times we talk about the, the what and the how. Uh, again, kind of coming back around to, to value-oriented uh, copywriting mm-hmm. and other things. But even at the conferences I'm at, um, there's a, I just see eyes glaze over when we get into conversations that are convoluted around, you know, what something is, especially from a tech perspective, although equally is, is true for finance uh, and different financial types of instruments, um, and instead ignore what the value is on, back out on the other side. What is the outcome that's being driven from this? Mm-hmm. A lot of times I end up on panels talking about tech um, because I love, I love technology. I love uh, everything that, you know, I work on from the tech perspective. Um, but a lot of times I get, you know, pulled into panels and I have to stop and go, hang on, time out. I don't want to talk about tech anymore. I want to talk about the outcomes that we're driving. Let's talk about why we're here and, and what it is that we are trying to achieve here. And then we can talk about how we're going to go and do that. Mm. And other panelists look at me like just horror stricken. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Don't, we don't want to talk about what it's supposed to actually accomplish. We just want to talk about what's under the hood. That's right. We want to talk really about you know, how how this full engine works and everything that we do mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. And like, okay, okay. 
it's cool. fascinating to think about when you think about engines, right? I mean, like there there's some evidence that that the V engine is not necessarily the most efficient or, or uh, powerful. Uh, but what was the the American approach for several decades to more power, because efficiency wasn't the uh, question to answer, was mm-hmm. just make it bigger, right? Larger. You know, you larger cylinders, larger pistons, more air, and then you know it's it's happening. Uh, I happen to be into motorcycles. It's happening in motorcycles. You know, the the V twin motor uses push rods, you know, as cams, but they're under the heads. Well, Indian uh, produced by Polaris, they do overhead cams now, mm-hmm. and it's liquid cooled. Which, if you ride any big motorcycle that's air cooled, you know the problem with the air cooled motor. It gets too hot, can overheat. So. It's actually interesting. I can draw some parallels here thinking about that. Of like, well, let's talk about the outcome you're trying to get to. And if it's speed and power and torque, then maybe just building a bigger thing of the same thing that you've been building, it doesn't make it better. Right. Yeah. Interesting. That's a fascinating analogy. I really like, I'm stealing that. Engines. With me. En- engines are engines, whether software or, or mechanical. They're, I, there's I similar underlying principles. This next panel i'm bringing that and <laughs> I, the horror is now going to turn to shock when i start talking about it. i love it just make sure you're citing something uh bizarre like lawnmower engines that'll really get them <laughs> <laughs> all right we're going to jump to number four here on for the future what's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances Ooh. um one thing that'll change or fade away. You know, I, I I think that the relationships are still going to be strong. I think that uh, you know, real estate is still going to be all about people uh, at the end of the day. I, so I don't see that necessarily changing. I think some of the dynamics in in how people are sharing information and and perhaps bringing down walls of where data flows and information flows uh, between them um, is mm-hmm. definitely going to change and begin to fade away. Um, you know, I've also I've referred to a lot of tech companies um, in this particular space as closed gardens. Uh, in that, you know, they just built a wall around whatever it is they have and really focus internally and in you know preventing anything else from getting in without you know authorized access. Um, I see us instead moving to a much more collaborative approach um, across all of technology. Uh, here in the real estate space, um, and so if it, maybe it's a hope and a wish, um, but I would love, <laughs> would love for these walls to begin to come down, be a little more permeable and a little more open um, to to everything that we're trying to accomplish here within commercial real estate. Yeah, it's possible. I think uh, I think you know if we're in challenging times for any long period of time, that may open up more opportunity for partnerships and I think I'm seeing more increase of partnerships, integrations, willingness to embed services versus own and build. Um, that being said though, if um, those who have a, an attitude of winner take all type category killer uh, or uh, dominance type approach, uh, probably not going to see that from them. Uh, right. So. <laughs> right. But uh, to be fair, right, the history books for those types of organizations have, have not been kind. Um, mm, mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. fade pretty quickly into obsolescence. And so and I, I won't name names necessarily of who I'm looking forward to um, fading off. But, uh, you know, I, I can at least be comforted uh, and sleep at night right now knowing that history will not treat that well. 
There you go. Well, we're going to jump into the very last three questions here, and these are more about you, so our listeners get to know you a bit better. And I'm very excited for the first answer that you have here, which is the, the question is, what are you reading? Oh, what am I reading? Um, I'm currently reading The Great Strategy. Um, and so this is a book that uh, it's a, written by a Yale professor who teaches a class um, on strategy in particular. Um, however, this class, you know, you would ordinarily think of a strategy class being as, as part of a business curriculum or, um, you know, part of an MBA type of program. Instead, this class sits in the history department and uh, begins to take a, a very um, huh. cross-functional approach to strategy in all of its different types of iterations uh, across history. So everything from uh, warfare and, and different battles to diplomacy into uh, mm. even the negotiations that have to happen between uh, two businesses um, or, or two parties of sorts. And so it's been a, a fascinating look to uh, really uh, begin to open up my eyes to a lot of different ways that, that strategy begins to uh, affect and drive our world as a whole. So it it kind of makes me think of the 33 strategies of uh, war from it do, Robert Greene. It does, but this one, much more storytelling um, mm. in this one and uh, some very clear moments. I mean, this one being written by uh, a Yale professor, it definitely has some, some moments to stop and think and, and talk and discuss. I think I, mm. my next book group that I pull together may be this book. There it is. Number two, who are you learning from? Who am I learning from? Just about everybody. Um, I just came off the road. Um, I went to a conference. I was meeting with uh, a couple of clients. I met with a couple of prospects. And, uh, and of course, ran into uh, a few other folks in the industry. And uh, one of the things that always you know, gets my motor running again, reinvigorates me and, and ignites that passion is the ability to step away from the computer and, and all of the work that I'm very focused in on and instead take that back out and begin to listen and learn from everybody else and what they're doing and what's going mm -hmm. on and mm -hmm. where are they seeing issues and what's going right in their worlds and where do they see the world going and what it is are they doing to make the world a little bit better of a place. Uh, that's, that's where I am learning. So number of different resources, really just about any time I get out in the world, um, it's funny. Um, it showed up in a Ted Lasso clip. Um, I think it's the uh, the dartboard scene where. Oh, be curious. Be curious, right? Of Walt Whitman, uh, who mm -hmm. you know, I've got leaves of grass back here as well. Um, and uh, with that, I think that that's you know so perfectly encapsulates the the critical need that we have overall within not only my organization but other real estate organizations as well is be curious right don't be judgmental don't be closed-minded about things find that curiosity to ask questions mm -hmm. and, and begin to learn from somebody else i can dig it last one here what inspires you other people lots of other people um, I, I love uh, getting up in front of people and, and chatting with folks. I love seeing the light bulb moment um, come on above mm. their head of, mm -hmm. oh, wow, mm -hmm. that's that's really cool. Or, oh, wow, that's really neat. Or, ooh, that's new and different. Tell me more about that. Or, mm. um, you know, having that same experience myself. I love making connections between people um, and driving, uh, driving those impactful relationships uh, and, and introducing other people to one another as well. Very cool. And this has been great. Thank you so much for your time. 
thanks for entertaining me on some AI questions. Uh, I know that's a little bit outside the scope of what Lobby CRE is building and working on right now, but I mean, at the center of data and creating solutions for you know the commercial real estate sector, I think it's invariably going to come in and out of conversation on a regular basis. Uh, before we go ahead and close out, uh, I want to give our listeners, if they want to get connected to you or learn more about Lobby CRE, where do they go? How do they do that? Yeah, so I'm available on LinkedIn. Otherwise, feel free to uh, send me a quick message uh, to my email. It's ahollander at 30capital.com. Um, or, uh, you know, again, find me on LinkedIn and, and send me a message there. There it is. Well, thanks so much. Uh, maybe I'll see you around at one of these events later this year. I've got a few I'm going to. So until then, though, we'll, we'll see you then. Fantastic. Thanks, Nate. Thanks for listening to TechNest. The PropTech Podcast. Find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode on technest.io. You can get future episodes delivered to your ears directly by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other major podcast apps. Follow TechNest on social media to stay up to speed on new developments, resources, and announcements in PropTech. Your support is greatly appreciated. There's two ways you can directly support this podcast. Share episodes you find interesting and then leave a review of the show in the App Store. From Nate and the TechNest team, thanks for listening.